for kids crew, I have actually one other, uh, one other group of people that I, I really want to uh, highlight and recognize, uh, and, and that are the Richards, Brad and Courtney Richard. Many of you know that, that this week, Brad and Courtney will be leaving to uh, relocate, and so they're going to join me here on the stage this morning, and, and they're going to be moving north because they're, they're in the process of, uh, of preparing for service with New Tribe Missions, which is a mission organization and working specifically with aviation. And as they're in this process of preparation, they actually have a couple of different stops along the way in their journey. But first, it's going to lead them north this, uh, this, this summer, and, and they'll be studying uh, at, a, at a Bible college along with new tribes this fall there in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, as they would say maybe. And uh, then they will, from there, they go to Missouri, from there to Arizona, and then ultimately uh, somewhere in the world, right? They think maybe perhaps Southeast Asia or South America, but that's largely still up in the air at this point. Uh, no pun intended, I guess, with that, right? Uh, but they're preparing for God's uh, God's work, his call on their lives. And I, I want to say that one of the things that I'm so proud of with Brad and Courtney through this whole process is that there have been some, some hoops to jump through uh, along the way. There have been some steps that they've had to follow and some things that they've had to do in, in preparation and working with uh, new tribes and getting, getting all the, the things in order the way that they need to. And there have been several times when it would have been easy to just say, ah, we, we give up. We, we'll do something else. This is, this is too hard. But they have, they have pursued it, persistently pursued every step of the way God's call, and they have pursued his leadership. And, and I'm, just, I'm very proud of, of that and also uh, really, really look forward to what the Lord's going to be doing. And, and our church is, is of course, uh, involved with supporting. Many of you are involved with supporting. They spoke about that a few weeks ago, but I wonder if there's anything that you might want to say this morning before uh, we have a time where we want to pray for them and, and, and just uh, just shower God's his, his blessing, his protection on them as they prepare for that. So I'll hand you the microphone, and, and as he's speaking, uh, draw your attention to this card, or as he's getting ready to speak, rather, draw your attention to this, this card that I'm holding because they have these prayer cards today that you can take it has contact information for them, but also a great reminder. You can hang this on the fridge, stick it somewhere in the house. We're going to be reminded to pray for the Richards in this process of preparation for what the Lord is calling them to do, ultimately serving on the mission field in some of the most difficult, most unreached regions of the world. That's kind of New Tribes' thing. They're going where others aren't, and, and, and largely that means places where it's difficult to get to people, but they're, they're determined to do that, and so we want to definitely be in prayer for them and lift them up as they go through this. Brad, is there anything that you, you want to add this morning or, or say uh, before we, of course, want to pray for you and lay hands on the both of you before, kind of as a send-off this morning? Yeah, and uh, I think uh, Pastor Michael only told me five minutes ago that I could talk, so I wouldn't <laughs> have any time to prepare after last time, but uh, I've still got 20 minutes in me here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I won't, I won't spend a lot of time, but I do want to say uh, thank you uh, for everything that everybody has done here the last, especially a uh, few weeks. It's been a blessing to be here the last uh, two and a half years or so. And uh, since we've told you guys that we're wanting to do mission work overseas, you've been uh, very supportive and, and have loved us and been super kind to us. So just a huge thank you. Um, 
we felt overwhelmed multiple times, especially, you know, recently as we're preparing to go. So just a huge blessing from, from so many individuals from the church as a whole. So we're hoping, uh, we're so, uh, so glad to go. I can't do this microphone thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're so blessed to go uh, with this church uh, backing us up. So this is, this is one, of the, one of the many steps that we've um, been working towards, but uh, this is the first step that we're, we're moving out. This is where it's starting to get real for us. So uh, we just really, uh, this, <laughs> at this time, uh, more than ever, we just really appreciate everybody uh, helping us and, uh, and praying for us and helping us in any way, any way possible. So I just wanted to say thanks. And we do have um, some more prayer cards. And if we run out, we'll be getting more. So anybody that wants one, please, please come to us and ask us. Also, something that we actually, yeah, on the prayer card, the back side, there is a blog that we're starting to keep everybody um, in the loop. Along, along the way, because as Michael said, we're doing several moves within the next few years, and, yeah. and we're having trouble keeping up ourselves. So we're doing this blog for us as much as anybody else. But uh, if you don't get a prayer card, that blog is Brad and spelled out Courtney dot WordPress dot org. Brad and Courtney dot word dot com. I've told a lot of people the wrong address. <laughs> We'll get it on our website, so we'll have it, we'll have it right. So. Yeah. So anyway, um, we uh, love, we want to keep in touch. That's one way um, uh, we, can, we can keep up with each other and leave, leave comments, email us, call us. We, we want to keep up relationships. We'll be back at Christmas and, and next summer to, to try to spend some time with everybody here. And We're going to miss you. We're going to miss you all. Thanks. Well, let's do this. Would you all join me here in the front this morning? And as they're making their way down, I want to invite, uh, I want to invite you as a church, any of you that would, that would feel led to do so this morning, to just uh, make your way down here as well. We want to spend time in prayer over them as they are preparing for this next step of God's journey. And uh, as you're making your way down and, and as we're preparing to, uh, to pray for them and, and send them off, um, I, I want to ask specifically that you as a church would remember not only Brad and Courtney and, and their children, but also the rest of their families that they're leaving behind here as well. It's hard for the rest of the family uh, as well as for Brad and Courtney, but this is a part of, this is a part of honoring and, and following through on the call that God has placed on their lives. And, uh, and, and we're proud is, is, I don't even feel like that necessarily does justice to how we feel. We're, we're proud and honored to uh, support them and, and, and serve alongside them in the role that God has given us uh, in, in the capacity that we have. And so I, I want to ask if I could hand this over here. Can we kind of pass this off? Dusty, would you voice a prayer for us this morning for Brad and Courtney? Father, we just thank you for this morning. And I just uh, thank you for the beautiful thing of a husband and wife that's been called by you, that they're spirit, Father, that they're one in the spirit with you. I just pray, God, uh, that you'll just give them encouragement, that they know this church loves them, and we send them off with, uh, with great expectations of what you're going to do in their lives. 
I pray, God, and thank you for their obedience to you and the setbacks that Michael's talked about, that they just keep going forward, Father, following you. And I just pray that as they go into the unknown, that, that you'll make things known to them, that you'll clear the path for them, that you'll provide for them financially as they have to raise their own support. And I just uh, thank you for the service that they've given to our church, for Brad working in RAs. I just pray, God, that as they reach people who don't know you, that your love will just pour out through them and that you'll protect them, keep them and their children safe. And Father, also just uh, be with their family and give them a peace that, uh, that you're in control and that you're watching over them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. You know, one of the, uh, one of the things about church that, that is, is hard at times, honestly, is hard, is that God raises people up to be sent out. And yet, at the same time, one of the things that I'm extremely proud of is that this is a church that has a, a rich legacy of people who have been raised up at First Baptist Church and are now serving God across our state, uh, across our country, and, and literally even around the world. And, and certainly Brad and, and Courtney we see as a, a part of that rich legacy. Well, what I want to do now is dismiss our children and our leaders upstairs for our kids' crew worship time this morning. And so our kids who are sixth grade and under are going to make their way upstairs to join our leaders for a time of worship that is specifically for them. And as they do that this morning, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. We're starting a new sermon series this morning in the book of Ruth. We just finished a few weeks ago a sermon series through the book of Esther, and now we're looking at Ruth, and, and you may say to yourself, are we going to just uh, talk about the women uh, this summer? Is that the plan? And the answer would be basically yes, <laughs> it is. If you picked up on that, then uh, you win the award for uh, catching the obvious here. But the reason that I want to focus specifically on Ruth as we study through this book over the next few weeks is because of the, the beautiful picture of faith that Ruth gives us, of someone who trusts the Lord and obeys the Lord even in the midst of uncertainty in, in her life and her circumstance. And so, uh, Ruth chapter 1 this morning, we're going to jump right in to the text here. The first thing that I want us to see is kind of this, this comparison and this contrast as we study through chapter 1. Now, we'll, we'll learn some of the characters and the story here as we read from Ruth 1 in just a moment, but there, there essentially are these two main characters in chapter 1, Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law, and of course, Ruth. And Naomi gives us this, this uh, if we will, this example that we're going to study this morning of uh, what, we, what we shouldn't do, and Ruth gives us the example of what we should as we look at the, the two characters in the text. So let's read together Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from, the Bethle uh, from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years 
And both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman, the woman, excuse me, was left without her two sons and her husband. And so the first thing that we see as we, as we look at this passage this morning, we, we see Naomi first. She's sort of the central figure at, at the, the, the outset of this story, first and foremost. And we see that Naomi reminds us that we cannot control life's circumstances. In fact, really, one of the great lessons in the book of Ruth is that, that circumstances, things happen in our lives, and though we are not able to control circumstances, though we, we cannot dictate the outcomes of all the things in life, we are left with a decision to make. Will we trust God and continue to walk with Him, or will we retreat and, and do things our own way, withdraw from Him and and, and, and pull away in, in, in maybe out of anger, maybe out of fear, maybe, maybe out of uh, bitterness, and all of those are things that we will see that Naomi is wrestling with in, in this story. But at the outset of the story, we see that Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, travel from Bethlehem, Bethlehem being their, their hometown, their home country, to Moab. Now, Moab and the Moabites are a people that live to the east and the north of, of Israel, Most, mostly along, uh, if you're familiar, if you have a map in the back of your Bible, you're somewhat familiar with the, the geography of Israel, mostly to the east in the, in the, the plateau lands uh, east of the Sea of Galilee in, in kind of the northern part of Israel. And the Moabites were descendants of, they were descendants of Lot through an incestuous relationship that Lot has with one of his daughters. So Lot has a son with one of his daughters, and they name that son Moab, and the Moabites are the descendants of this, this, this man, this lineage. And so throughout the history of Israel, we find this, this contention, this struggle between the Moabites and the Israelites. This is a storyline that sort of arises again and again throughout the Old Testament, the, throughout the story of the Israelites. And in, in fact, just give you a few examples uh, that, that you may be familiar with. You perhaps are familiar with the story of Balaam, who was called by King Balak to, to, to prophesy, and, and the story of Balaam's donkey, and all of those things that happened in, in Numbers chapter 22, 23, 24. Balaam was a Moabite. Uh, you, maybe you are familiar with the story of King Eglon. Remember, uh, about a year ago, we studied through the book of Judges, and we learned about Eglon, the king of the Moabites, and Ehud, who was the prophet that God raised up, because Eglon, who was known in Judges chapter 3 as a very fat king, uh, Eglon, king of the Moabites, conquered the Israelites and oppressed them for over 18 years. By the way, that happened in, the, in, in this time, that the story of Ruth is unfolding in and around this time anyway, because Ruth happens in the time of the judges, and of course, Eglon and, and Ehud and, and that story from Judges 3 takes place in the time of the judges as well. And so uh, perhaps you're familiar with that. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, there is a curse that God levels against the Moabites in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, where he says that the Moabites will not be allowed to enter into 
God's blessing up to the 10th generation. So essentially, God puts a 10-generation ban or a 10-generation curse on the Moabites that they were not allowed in. They were not allowed to worship him or into God's good graces. There are stories in, uh, in the book of Nehemiah where the Moabites contended against and struggled against the, the Israelites as they returned to Israel, especially we see in Nehemiah chapter 13. And so again and again and again in the story of the Old Testament, the story of God's people, there's this contention, this struggle against the Moabites. And so essentially what happens here is that when times get hard in Israel, when there is a famine in the land, Naomi's husband decides to uproot his family, his wife and his two sons, and to run to the land of their enemies. Now imagine that. Think about that. Think about the, 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 the consequences and, and what that would have done both for Elimelech and his reputation and, and his name amongst his own people. That essentially when times got hard, what he did is that he went to the enemy's camp. He deserted his own people. He left his own people in the time of famine and instead went to live amongst their enemies, the Moabites. And not only does he live amongst his enemies, but ultimately his sons marry Moabite women. And so now they have, they have intermarried with the Moabites. And so in many ways, in many ways, Elimelech and Naomi and their family would have been considered uh, maybe, maybe turncoats. Uh, maybe they would, have been considered, uh, they would have been considered deserters of sorts. These were the kind of people that others would have looked down their nose at because they, they essentially, they joined the other team, if you want to think of it. That, I mean, that's, the, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, we, we get to the picture of some of that. Now, this is, this is too soon for me, but it's almost like how we feel about Kevin Durant right now, right? I got to bring that in somewhere because I've been brokenhearted all week. We just got back from kids camp this week at Cross Timbers, and on Monday before we left, of course, you know, it was Durant's Independence Day, and, and so I left for children's camp heartbroken uh, over that whole thing. And, and I admitted to Rayleigh yesterday, I said, I know this is really dumb, but I'm still really upset over this thing, right? Like, I shouldn't be this tied to uh, a basketball player, but I really am depressed. I'm, I'm bummed about this whole thing. And so the way that we all feel about Durant right now uh, maybe helps us uh, work that in. How, that, that's how the Israelites would have felt about Naomi, because essentially what she did is she joined the other team. She left and, 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 and joined the other side, so to speak. And so in her struggle, in the midst of their problems and the difficulties that they were facing, we see this. In her struggle, Naomi ran from her problems. Now, part of the story that unfolds here is, are the problems that Naomi and her family faced. The truth is that all of us can, can relate when it comes to problems, Right? Because we all have problems in our lives. Every one of us have problems that we face in this life. And your problems may not look like Naomi's problems. They may not look like the problems of the person seated next to you this morning. They may not look like all of the rest of your friends' problems. But the truth is that one of the things that we can all count on in this life is that we will have problems. We will face problems in life. And there comes a point in our struggle against our problems that we all face when we either have to stand or, or we run. In the world of psychology, this is known as fight or flight, right? That there's that moment, there's that point of decision where, we, where we, we have to decide either to stand against something or to run from it. And what we find here is that Naomi 
chooses to run. She and her family run. And so when things got hard, when there was famine in the land in Bethlehem, they ran to, the, to Moab. They, they joined the Moabites. They ingrained themselves in the culture of the Moabites to the point that one year turned into a couple of years, turned into 10 years. And finally, after her sons have died, when Naomi is, is, is broken, when, when she has essentially nowhere else to turn and nothing else that she can do, she decides to return home. So let's look at the, the, the next part of the story, verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited the people, visited his people and given them food. And so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now part of the background, part of the cultural background of what's happening in this situation is that in the culture of the day, there, there was a, a practice that if, if a woman had multiple sons and her sons were married, if one of the sons died before having an heir, before having children to pass on the, the, his lineage, his legacy to, then the other son, the, the brother, the, or the eldest brother in situations where there were multiple sons, the eldest brother would then take his, his sister-in-law and she would become his wife, and that was known as a kinsman redeemer. He would become her kinsman redeemer. Essentially, he would, he would marry her, he would receive her as another wife, and then try to produce an heir, and, and all of the, the family inheritance that would have gone to his brother, and of course his brother's wife, would now go through this son to these heirs that were produced. And that may seem like a weird practice to us. We may hear that and think, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm the middle of three boys, right? And so the idea that, that I would take one of my brother's wives, I mean, it just seems... Uh, odd at the least, right? But that was the practice of the day. That was, that was the common cultural practice. And so when you see Naomi refer to some of these things and she talks about, do I have another child or could I produce an heir? Or even if I could produce a son today, would you wait uh, before you marry again? We, we read some of that and we think, what is she talking about? But, but it's tied to this cultural practice of the kinsman redeemer. I and mean, that actually will come into play later in the story, and, and many of you I know know the story and the way that that unfolds, but that's an important part of the story that we'll look at in future weeks as this unfolds. But what we see for now in all of this is that in her stubbornness, Naomi sought to cover up her mistakes. Now we saw that in her struggle, she ran from her problems, right? 
And we can relate because some of us have that have, have, have situations that we can point to in our lives when, when we've tried to run from our problems. In fact, I would say probably all of us can look back at some point in our lives when we tried to run from problems. And in her stubbornness, not only did she run from her problems and her struggle, but in her stubbornness, Naomi sought to cover up her, her mistakes. She tries to, to, to gloss over these things. She wants her daughters-in-law to go and marry other men who of course would be men outside of her family because she has no more sons, has no more, uh, no more, no more uh, sons, no more ability, if you want to think of it that way, to produce heirs for these women, to, to give them some hope, to give them some kind of an inheritance, to pass something on to them. She has nothing else to give them. She's, she's broken. She's destitute, we might even say. And, and so she's trying to encourage them to go on, return to their homes, return to their to their people, to their families, their homeland, so that they might marry again, and all of this just goes away in time. And yet, we see the character of both of her daughters-in-law, that rather than taking the easy way, rather than leaving their mother-in-law stranded, they want to stand by her side. They want to stand with her. So when in stubbornness, Naomi sought to cover over her mistakes, her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to no, we won't leave you. We're not going to abandon you. But nonetheless, Naomi pleads with them. No, I have nothing to give you. There's, I have nothing for you. I can't even really take care of myself. How much less can I take care of you? I, I have nothing for you, right? And she encourages them to leave. And of course, we see in the story, Orpah decides to leave. But Ruth, it says in verse 14, clung to her. Ruth clings to her mother-in-law. So that's an important part of the story, that in her struggle, she ran. In her stubbornness, she tried to cover over her sins. And then finally, we see this about Naomi, that in her sorrow, she became bitter against God. Now, I want to jump forward a little bit in Ruth 1, because we're going to come back when we look at Ruth and, and, and the character of Ruth and the example that she gives us in a moment. We'll come back to verse 15, but I want to jump ahead first to verse 19, and I want to see that that Naomi becomes bitter against the Lord and bitter because of all that's happened to her. Verse 19 says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Essentially, everybody knows that Naomi is back in town. Naomi and her Moabite daughter-in-law. We told you, right, that, that she would have not been a popular woman in town because when diff times got hard, when things were difficult, she left. And not only did she leave, but she, she went to the enemy. They went to the enemy, and then her sons took enemy wives, right? This, this was something that everyone would have known about. And now they're back in town, and it says the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And Naomi there in, in, in this means uh, Naomi has this meaning of, of someone who's blessed or someone who is, is, is cheerful, a delight. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And you can read the footnotes in your Bible, particularly if you've got an ESV, there's going to be a little number one next to Naomi, a little number two next to Mara. You see, Naomi means pleasant or delight, and then Mara means bitter. And so she essentially says, don't call me my name, call me bitter because I'm, because I'm bitter, because I'm angry at the Lord over what has happened with me. Verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi feels utterly broken and angry over her circumstance. In verse 22, And so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, what's important about this situation, when we see Naomi's sorrow, when we see her bitterness against God, what's important about this and, and, and seeing what we see with Naomi is that it would be easy for us to look at Naomi in this story and to think, uh, no, I wouldn't respond like that. We, we always want to identify with the hero or the heroine in a story, right? We always want to identify with the good guy. But the truth is, in our lives, most of the time, we can probably identify much more with Naomi in a situation like this than we can with Ruth. Because the truth is that when life's circumstances happen to us, our first instinct, our first reaction is to try to control our situation, to try to control our circumstances. And the way that you react may not be exactly like what we see with Naomi, but nonetheless, you can identify with Naomi because you have tried to control life's circumstances when things haven't gone your way. I have as well. We, we can relate with Naomi in this story. What we see, though, through Naomi and through the example that she provides us in this story is that we're unable to control life's circumstances. In the story, we see that in her, in, in her struggle, Naomi ran. In her stubbornness, she tried to cover over her sin. In her sorrow, she became bitter. Much like Naomi, we, we react when, when God doesn't give us what we want, when things don't go the way that we want, when, when things don't play out the way that we think that they should, we react oftentimes hurt, broken. And, and even in, this, in the same sense that we would say that Naomi, it, it appears, is, is even mad against God here, I wonder how many of us can identify because we've been at that place where we didn't want to pray. We didn't want to seek the Lord. We didn't want to talk to God, much less come to church and, and, and be around all of this, and, 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 we didn't, and we felt ourselves kind of pulling away in the moment when reality, what we needed was to cling to him all the more. In, in that moment, what we needed all the more was to press close and to draw near to God, but yet it's in those most difficult moments that we find ourselves pulling away because of that nature inside of us that struggles with faith and struggles with trust. And that's exactly what we see in Naomi's example. But God also gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to have faith and trust in Ruth. Ruth, who is really in many ways the central figure of the story and, and from this point forward really becomes the main player in the book of Ruth. We see this beautiful picture of faith and trust. Go back with me to verse 15. Let's read verses 15 through 18. This is after Orpah has turned away, but Ruth, we learned, clung to Naomi. In verse 15, she said, this is Naomi, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Now, that's important because the gods that they worshiped were associated with who they were as a people. And so, essentially, uh, essentially it's as if Naomi is saying, look, Orpah abandoned me and abandoned her faith. When, when she became 
when she became the wife of Kilion, that's the, the son of, of, of Naomi and Elimelech that, that Orpah would have married, when she became his wife, she would have essentially not only come into his household, but would have begun to worship God in the same way that, that he would have as well, that, that Kilion would have. He, she would have taken his faith, so to speak, converted, as it were, and now she's abandoned her mother-in-law. She's abandoned her faith. She's returned to her people. Naomi says, return after your sister-in-law. Naomi's trying to give her permission. It's okay. It's okay. You can go too. But verse 16, we see this beautiful confession of faith. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now, oftentimes, you've probably heard these verses read. In, oftentimes, they're read in some kind of a, a wedding ceremony or in relation to husband and wife and the commitment. And it's a beautiful picture of commitment and covenant commitment. But in its context, this isn't talking about husband and wife at all, right? In its context, what this is talking about is Ruth's confession of faith. I will not abandon you, she says to Naomi. I'm, I'm in this. I'm with you. I made a vow and a commitment when I married your son. And, and she says, essentially, I will honor that, even if it means that, that I have to follow after you. And the guiding, the guiding uh, reason here, the guiding principle of her faith seems to be centered on her new faith in God. Notice that she says, your people will be my people, your God my God. She's, she has become a true believer in the sense that she is now worshiping the Lord. She's honoring God, and she sees that she cannot return to her former ways. She cannot go back to the, the religion of her family. She cannot go back to the ways of her people because she is now deeply, deeply involved, not only with Naomi through her family, but now as a believer, as a person of faith. And she's trusting God to provide for them. Trusting God to provide for her in a circumstance where seemingly she has nothing, no hope, no reason to, no reason to, to have any hope for the future, no reason to think that God is going to do anything. Now, we know in the unfolding of this story that God provides and he redeems her in a beautiful way through Boaz and Boaz's role in the story. But at this point in the story, Ruth doesn't know any of that, right? All she knows is that she's made a covenant commitment and she plans to honor that commitment. I read somewhere this week this, this statement about faith. I, I think Ruth gives us a beautiful picture of what real faith is about, faith to believe in the midst of circumstance. And I read this this week, that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. What, a, what an awesome thing to say about Ruth, but what a great picture and a great example for us. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but it's obeying in spite of consequence. Ruth knew what the future holds. She knew that just as Naomi had no hope, she, she had no real promise of what tomorrow holds, that that 
in turn, would be extended to her as well. Not only that, when Naomi returned to Bethlehem, Ruth would now be the outsider, right? In Moab, at least they were amongst her own people. In Moab, at least, she was amongst her kinsmen. She was a fellow Moabite. But now in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, in, in the city of Naomi and Elimelech and, and, and their people, she's not only an outsider, but she's the enemy. Not only is she an enemy, but she's the enemy who married one of their sons and didn't have the sense to run when she could, right? And yet in, in spite of all of this, Ruth remains consistent. She remains faithful and true to the covenant, to the promise that she had made. I wonder in, in your life, when you take this truth and you apply it, that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. Where is it in your life that you need to believe in God and obey him in spite of the consequences that may come your way? Oftentimes in our lives, we obey when we feel like we know how circumstances and things are gonna turn out, right? We obey when we feel like we can predict and see the future and we'll obey so long as there's at least a reasonable chance that things are gonna go the way that we think they should. What about in those circumstances in life when it seems like there is absolutely, utterly no hope for you in the future, at least in the sense of, at least in as, I mean to say no hope, at least in as much as you know that things are not going to go the way that you want, right? Certainly we always have hope because of Christ. But in those moments when, when it seems like things will not go the way that you want, when the outcomes will not be uh, what you would choose, would you be willing even then to trust God and to obey him? That's the beautiful picture of faith that Ruth gives us. And I wonder today, would we be willing to have this kind of faith, the kind of faith that will believe and obey, the kind of faith that will take action in spite of the apparent consequences. You know, this morning, in, in just a moment, we're gonna have a time of invitation, a time of response. And in that time of response, I wonder today, are there some who are here who maybe there's never been a moment in your life where you have trusted in Jesus Christ by faith. And maybe you can identify this morning as someone who feels like they have no hope, no promise, no future. And this morning, today, what you need is to respond by faith, by placing your trust in Jesus Christ and allowing him to pay the price for your sin, receiving the hope that he has, and most importantly, obeying his call and his direction for your life. Would you be willing to obey, to take steps of bold faith by stepping out of what you're comfortable with and trusting in Jesus? There are many of us here today who are dealing with different circumstances. And the circumstances themselves are, are, are as varied as we are as individuals. And yet, the point of decision that we're facing is, is the same because we're at a place where we have to make a choice. Will I trust God and obey Him or will I retreat into what's easy and comfortable? This morning, would you be willing to trust God, to take steps of faith, to obey Him in spite of the consequences. In the time of invitation this morning, I'll be here in the front, Brad will be here in the front. We would love to pray with you. 
We would love to counsel and encourage you if there's a decision that you're wrestling with this morning. Our altars will be open. You can come this morning and you can pray. Maybe what you need is just simply to cry out to God this morning and say, God, I, I, I identify with Naomi here. I've struggled against you in my stubbornness. I've tried to cover over my, my mistakes and my sin, God, and in my sorrow, I'm, I'm bitter and I'm upset against you. I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I don't like what you've given me. Maybe what you need to say this morning is, God, I, I identify with what I see in the story, but what, what I want is to respond like Ruth. God, I want to have faith to trust you and obey in spite of my life circumstance. Our altars will be open this morning. We would encourage you to come and pray. that During this time, you would commit to honor God and obey him in obedience as you trust him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Lord, I pray, as we, as we think on this, this lesson and this beautiful picture of faith that Ruth provides for us today, God, I pray that we would, we would respond in faith to you. God, that we would not try to control and dictate life's circumstances or that we wouldn't base our response on on the things that we see. Rather, Lord, we would have the kind of faith that says, in spite of what I see, I choose to trust you, believing, God, that your ways are higher and your plans are best. Lord, this is, this is a real moment of decision, a very, very, a very real moment of decision for us. And we confess, that's not easy. Trusting in the unknown, more than that, trusting in the unseen, God, is, is difficult for us. And yet, you know this, Lord. You know this, and you give us the assurance through your word that when we trust in you, when we obey, that you will continue to lead us and direct us. Lord God, we cling to that promise this morning as we trust in you. It's in your name we pray, amen. As we stand together this morning to sing this song of invitation, I invite you to come. Our altars are open if you'd like to pray. Our staff will be here at the front ready to counsel, ready to encourage, ready to pray with you as well. However God is leading you this morning, can I encourage you? Lean into him. Trust him. When times are difficult, when the way seems uncertain and unclear, trust his hand. Let's sing together.